Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Yeah. Um, I want to welcome you guys to the Crossings Church. Uh, my name's Jake, and I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, we are in the middle of a lot of busy, busy, busy work here at the church, if you haven't noticed. Um, we have a bunch of classrooms being built currently. Um, and they are looking great. Uh, they are painted. The, the electric is in. The lights are on. Uh, they have some flooring to get put in, some, some ceiling tiles. But we're hoping in the next couple of weeks they are going to be up and running for our kids to be able to run through and start enjoying. Um, we, have a book sh- we have a bookstore being built in the back corner as well. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed, this is new uh, where we're going to have a little baptistry changing room. And we have a baptistry coming in soon. We're going to be changing this whole wall. There's going to be some artists putting paints and things like that up on the walls as well. We're in a crazy season right now here at the Crossings Church. Um, but it's an exciting season. And honestly, the only reason that we can do what we're able to do is because of, this, of the church body. You know, because of the members here that have been willing to, to give, to sacrifice. Um, and we've had some awesome partners here at the church that have been able to financially support us. Um, but we are growing. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but if you look around, uh, these seats are getting a little more full than they have been in the last couple months. Uh, and so I'm excited just for the season that we are in here at the Crossings Church. And if uh, you're visiting with us, I want you to know that we're glad that you're here because you are a part of an exciting season here at the Crossings Church. And uh, I can't wait to see what's going to grow and what's going to come because of that. Um, if you would like to pull out your... Uh, your uh, your bulletin, there's a couple different things inside that I want to bring your attention to. The first one is our Easter glow-in-the-dark hunt this year. So this is something new and unique to the Crossings Church because we tend to have an Easter egg hunt on Easter Sunday, but this year we decided that we're going to try to do something on Saturday, the day before, um, to just bring more excitement and more energy since we're kind of landlocked. We don't have a lot of grassy area here at the Crossings. Um, we want to kind of still give the kids something new and exciting. And so we're planning that Saturday before to do a glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt. And we're going to use the auditorium here, and we're going we're gonna to blacklight this room out. It's going to be just a completely different scenery for kids to be able to come and enjoy. And so, like I said the last time that I preached a couple weeks ago, um, if you have anybody in your life that is at that age that they can still Easter egg hunt, I'd encourage you to give this invite to their parents Um, I want you to take a good look at it, write the information down for you to have it, and then hand this off to somebody else. This is your challenge to not waste this piece of paper and be able to give it to somebody that maybe could use it for for their own kids. Um, I'm excited to see just the kind of growth um, that we can have from that Easter egg hunt just to get some little kids in here and maybe even be able to showcase these new classrooms for parents to see and things like that. It's going to be an awesome, exciting time for us to have kids in the church. Um, and so take note of that and just to see what kind, what kind, of, uh, what kind of things that they build that Easter egg hunt because of that. Um, <clears throat> so something else uh, is we have a, uh, a piece of paper with some notes if you guys would like to follow along today. Um, we'll have everything up here on the back screen. So if you want to listen along, you're more than welcome. And, but if you want to follow along, you can do that as well. Um, we are in the, the, the middle of a sermon series called Kingdom Parables. And if you've been around the last couple weeks, you know that what we've been talking about is just the kingdom of heaven. We really wanted to start this, this year off with this idea of the kingdom of heaven because we've had a church theme that's been to be continued. And you guys can see that on the screen. And this idea of continuing what the book of Acts has kind of laid out, that a lot of times we read through the Bible like it's a storybook. We read through the Bible like it's a history book um, where it is history, but it's not history that's meant to stay history. It's history that's meant to be continued in our own lives. And so we chose a church theme this year that is to be continued because we believe that as we read through the book of Acts, we see that there is a story set in place, that there are some things that happen in history with the first century disciples that we are called to carry on. Just like when you die one day. Like when you die one day, your family line doesn't die with you, right? If, you, if you've had kids, if you have the next generation in your family, nothing stops if you've had a new generation rise up when you leave this earth. And we believe that the same thing goes for disciples. Just because the, 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 the people in the first century, just because these disciples have died, does not mean that they did not leave a legacy for the next generation to carry on. 
And we believe here at the Crossings Church that we are called to be that generation that is supposed to rise up and continue the story and continue the legacy that has been built for us years and years beforehand. And so we started off by talking about this idea that first and foremost, the kingdom is here. You know, and the parables that we've been, that we've been walking through have kind of been highlighting this idea of kingdom parables uh, to get us an understanding of what that kingdom is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like, what it, what it could be for our lives. But the realization that it's not something that we need to look forward to when we die, that heaven isn't a place that we should be looking at once we once we surrender this life here on earth and we die and we go to heaven. But the reality is, is that the kingdom of heaven has already arrived, that the kingdom is here and we are living in it. And so these parables are not something that are so far ahead that we need to look forward to. But these parables are something that we should be doing right now. These parables are something that we should be benefiting from right now. And when you look at the scripture in that light and not say, hey, this is something cool down the road, but hey, this is something that I need to be learning about so I can put it into my life right now, we get a different perspective on how we can apply it. And so today we are going to talk about another one of those parables. But before we get into that parable, I want to, I want to take a time because I, I, I like this feeling of taking communion to start the service um, when we're talking about these parables of the kingdom of heaven. Because the reality is, is that nothing that we talk about today is going to make any sense unless we know and we understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Today we're going to be talking about treasure. We're going to be talking about hidden treasure. But the reality is, is the only reason we get to search for this treasure is because there was a man that one day came and died on a cross for our sins so that we had an opportunity to look for treasure in the first place. You see, there would be no treasure if it wasn't for Jesus dying on the cross. There would be no opportunity for us to find and to put this treasure in our lives if there wasn't a God who made himself a man to die on a cross to give us an opportunity to even look for the kingdom in the first place. And so everything that we talk about today, it doesn't make any sense if we don't have a gratitude and a conviction of what Jesus did for us. And so I really want to set our hearts and our minds right today to remember that Jesus did die on that cross and Jesus did give us that opportunity through our, through our gratitude and through our conviction to look at our lives and say, you know what, I need to remember this on a weekly basis so I know that what I'm doing in my life I can actually do because of the sacrifice that was made for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer, we're going to take communion, and then we're going to jump in today to talk about this treasure that we get to actually look for because of the man who died on the cross. Okay? Um, if you guys would like to bow and pray with me. God, uh, I just want to thank you so much. You know, I've, I've been searching for this treasure for quite a while now, um, and I've seen some benefits of, of looking for it and finding it, God. But I think so, so frequently I forget that I even get the opportunity to look for treasure. Um, sometimes I think it's just something that I have earned or something that I have uh, deserved because of my hard work. But God, we wouldn't be able to look for this treasure if you didn't provide a way for us in the first place. And the way that you provided this treasure hunt for us, um, this awesome treasure hunt, is that you sent your son to die on a cross. And God, that kind of sucks that that's the way that it had to be, had to be done. Um, I don't think any of us wanted it to go that way, but you realized that that was the only way. And so God, I pray that we can remember what your son did on the cross. We can remember the sacrifice that was made and that we can find uh, the conviction and the, the compulsion to want to go out and do something because of it, Lord. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for uh, his sacrifice. And thank you again for the opportunity to do what we can do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about a parable that, that hits on the idea of, of hunting for treasure. And many of you, if you are a member of the church here, you've heard this parable before because this is actually a parable that we study through with every disciple uh, that joins our congregation. Um, and even if, you ha even if you're not a member here, this is a very, it's a very popular parable, but I'm going to read it out loud. It's Matthew 13, 45 and 46. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like some treasure which has been buried in a field. A man finds it and buries it again and goes off overjoyed to sell all his possessions to buy himself that field. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he has found a single pearl of great value, he goes and sells all his possessions and buys it. And so actually you get two parables in one today, you know, uh, and uh, this, this is a, but the, 
the idea of both these parables is the same. And what we're starting to see is that in this parable today that we're talking about, it's talking about searching. It's talking about looking. And we get the idea right off the bat that this kingdom of heaven is of value. If there's anything you can get today from the lesson, it should be that this kingdom of heaven is valuable. So valuable that they are willing to sell everything that they have to attain it. And so if that's the truth, we need to know what it is and how it should come across our lives and how we can find it. And today we're going to kind of talk about a treasure hunt because that's, that's essentially what these parables are about, is being on a treasure hunt. And so we're going to just kind of very lightly today talk on three different places or three different ways that we can be, become a successful kingdom treasure hunter. Just like this parable talks about, if we know it's that of great value, then we need to ourselves look at our lives and say, it's time to be a hunter. You know, it's time to, it's time to find a way to start looking for this myself. Um, if, it's, if it's got that kind of value, okay? So the first point we're going to talk about today is that Becoming a successful kingdom treasure hunter, number one, requires me to be a humble hunter. And if you want to change the word hunter to seeker, that is totally fine if that helps kind of get your mind right with what we're talking about today. But it could be a seeker, it could be a hunter. Um, but it requires me to be a humble hunter, right? And we know that it's something that's hunted and not just stumbled upon because when you look through these verses in Matthew 13, 45, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like some treasure which has been buried in a field. A man finds it. You don't find something you're not looking for, right? You don't, you don't stumble upon something and say, oh, I found it because you weren't really looking for it in the first place, right? There's got to be this idea that you have to be looking for something to find it and it's not just going to magically be stumbled upon. And, you know, in verse 46, you see it even more clearly. It says, Oregon, the king of heaven, is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. Okay? And so we get this idea that it is a hunt. It is a search in our lives for us to look for this thing. But where does this word humble come in? Because the first key word that can't be ignored is, is humble. And when we read that parable, we don't see the word humble. Right? We never see the word humble or humility. We just see two different types of people looking for two different things and what they're willing to give up. And if we just left it at that, we left it at that value, we'd say, well, there's no humility necessary. It doesn't really talk about humility here. We don't really have to have humility. We can be arrogant. We can be prideful. We can, we can do what we want to do. We don't need, you know. And, and that would be true if you just read it as is. But if you read the context around this parable, you'll realize that it requires incredible humility to be a kingdom searcher, a kingdom treasure hunter. Because in Matthew 13, we're going to start looking at a little bit, a little bit before this parable shows up. Um, parables in general in Scripture, if you don't know, it's, 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 a, it's just another fancy way of saying it's a worldly story with, with kingdom values or with spiritual values to it. And so they would, what they would do is Jesus would tell these parables to common people so they wouldn't get confused and distort what Scripture actually was saying through the Pharisees, through their knowledge of the Scriptures. Jesus would come and give them an earthly, relatable topic and give a very deep spiritual meaning to it. But just because he would, in a way, parables sometimes, I guess, would be a way to dumb down, you know, Scripture so we can all understand it, right? Um, sometimes I read parables, I'm like, I get it so much easier now because he's talking about something that's relatable, you know? Um, just because he would do that still doesn't mean that we would completely understand it, right? Have any of you guys been the person in class and school growing up that your teacher says, is there anybody that didn't understand what I just said? Are any of you guys the people that would still not understand, but you were still unwilling to raise your hand? Did anybody not want to raise their hand? And why didn't we want to raise our hands? Because we didn't want to be the dumb one, right? We didn't want to be the one in class being like, I don't get it. And then everybody's like, what a dummy. You know, like, what a fool. What a fool, right? But if there was two or three others that raised their hands, would, be, would we be more willing to be like, yeah, I don't get it either, right? Because we, we like to follow along with people, but we don't want to stand out and be the only one that doesn't get it. Right. And so it's funny because in Scripture, you don't see that with the disciples. 
Because even though Jesus gives a parable that kind of simplifies it in some ways to some, to some audiences, the disciples still don't get it. But they don't like, they don't just follow suit like, yeah, you get there. And like, yeah, I got it. I got it. You got it. But like in their heads, they're like, I have no idea what he's talking about right now. All right. They never start in that way because they don't mind asking Jesus what he meant. And so in Matthew 13, 13 through 15, we get a little piece of that. And they're like, what does this mean? What, 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 why do you speak this way to people? And this is Jesus' response. He says, this is why I use stories to teach the people or that I speak in parables. They see or they look but they don't really see or perceive. They hear, but they don't really hear or understand. So they show that the things Isaiah said about them are true. You will listen and listen, but you will not understand. You will look and look, you'll keep on seeing or look intently, but you will not learn or perceive or comprehend. For the minds or the hearts of these people have become stubborn, which is dull or calloused or hardened. They do not hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. They might really understand in their minds with their hearts and come back or turn or return to me and I would heal them. You see, there was a reason why Jesus talked the way that he talked. Because he knew that it was going to be something that had to be communicated in a certain way for people to understand. But he also had an understanding and expectation that people were still going to need help despite that. And he talks about how Isaiah talks about this is what is going to happen, that people are going to listen and people are going to hear, but they're still not going to understand. And so even today, as we talk about in our culture and what we know about God and what we know about church and what we know about our relationship with him and what that should look like, there are still some very, very deep, deep principles that we don't get. And the question is, are we going to have the humility to ask for help, to, to, to have a humility that says, I don't get it, or are we going to continue to be a people that's going to act like we know what we're doing with our lives, It's going to continue to act like we know how to run things and watch our lives fall apart? If we know what, if we know what we're supposed to be doing, and then we do it and it falls apart still, are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing? Or are we doing just what we think we're supposed to be doing? You see, sometimes we think we have all the answers, but listen to what he says here in Matthew 13. He says, Jesus always used stories like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. You see, the parables reveal things that nobody knew yet. They were things that were hidden since the creation. So these concepts, the ways that they were applied, these were things that there is no way that they could comprehend yet because it wasn't explained in any way for comprehension yet. He literally says, I will explain things hidden since the beginning. He opened a brand new door with a lifestyle. He explained a brand new way of what it could look like to be in the kingdom of heaven and how we can live in the kingdom of heaven and what we should be searching for. And in these parables, there's so much information. There's so many things that we maybe thought we knew in our lives. But how could we know if it's been hidden since creation? And so my question today for you guys and for my own life, is do we live life thinking we know everything or are there things that we still don't completely understand? You know, a good indicator for that question is, are you happy in your life right now? Do you feel like where you're at in life right now is where God wants you to be? And if your answer is yes, then maybe you have been looking into God's word and you have been seeing what he has in store for your life and you have been looking at these parables. But if your answer is no, I would ask you, do you look at the parables Jesus throws in front of us? Do you look at scripture? Do you look, are you searching? Are you hunting for this treasure? Or have you been going about it your way? Because the answer to that question is really going to determine what your life is going to look like, not just for the next 20 or 30 years, but when you die as well. 
And that is why it's so important for us to have humility in our lives as we search for this kingdom treasure. Look at here in Matthew 5.3. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, when he's, talk, when he's talking about poor here, it's not just talking about financially poor. He's talking about people who are poor in spirit. People who, who don't really feel that connection. People who don't really have that and they yearn for it and they desire it and they want that. It says God blesses people in that mindset, but a lot of people don't read past that. It says, and realize their need for him. You see, that's one of the biggest struggles. In, in, any, in, any, in any habit or addiction or, or, or thing in our life that we get hung up on, right, the, the very first step is what? Acceptance, right? Hi, my name's Jake, and I'm a blank to blank. Hi, Jake. You know, and you get in that little circle with people, and you have to just admit that that's your, you have a problem, you know? And we don't want to admit that. But that's the first step in acknowledgement of what is really actually going on in life. Having an honest perception of what my life is, is the first step in getting help. And it's no different in your relationship with God. Because it doesn't matter if you're poor in spirit or not, if you don't realize it. If you don't understand that's really where you are in life. God's going to have a hard time blessing you if you're so arrogant to not think that that's really where you're at. It says God blesses those who are poor and realize they have a need for him. He's not just going to bless poor people who don't think they need Jesus in their life. They're just going to go along and be like, I can handle this. I don't need this. But it says that there's got to be a humility to say, this is where I'm at in life, and I need help. I need God in my life. It says those kind of people, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's waiting for them. Psalm 25, 9. He leads humble people to do what is right. And we've heard these verses before. And sometimes when I hear verses like this, I like to just fill it in with the opposite, right? So you can just change that verse, say, he leads arrogant people to do what's wrong. <laughs> you know, like, it is, it's not him necessarily leading people in the right or wrong, but the reality is, is that you can fill the, the verbs in with the opposite and realize that there's going to be an opposite expectation, Right? We have, to, we have to be humble in our lives. In Psalms 10:4, the arrogance of the wicked one keeps him from seeking the true God. He truly thinks there is no God. And once again, I've, heard, I've hit on this word wicked a couple times over the last couple weeks or months. We hear the word wicked and we're like, that's bad people. You know, like the word wicked, I think it's just the wicked witch of the West, right? That's the first wicked word that I can think of, you know? And we think about how crazy she is and that crazy little laugh that she has and, and it, the big old green face with like the old, the old uh, Wizard of Oz, right? And we're like, that is a nasty woman. <laughs> like, that's just, that's, that's a terrible person to look at. And that's, we're like, that's wicked. But wicked literally just means not doing what God wants you to do. Ignoring God, doing the opposite of what God says. That's wicked. And so the arrogance of people who choose to do that, the arrogance of people who say, I can do it myself. I don't need God to instruct me. I don't need God to lead me. That's who he's talking about here. It says that thought process keeps them from seeking me. And so if you have any obstacles in your way in this treasure hunt, the answer is it's yourself. It's the way that we perceive ourselves. It's not our culture. It's not the product of our environment. It's not where we were raised. It's not how, how much money we had growing up. If we're going on this treasure hunt, the only thing that's really holding us up is the way we perceive ourselves and how we choose to apply it. You know, a humble seeker also doesn't mean that you're a passive seeker. It doesn't mean that you're just going to sit around like I talked about. You know, these treasures, they didn't just stumble upon them because they had, they had to actually be actively looking for them. So the second word that we need to really think about that can't be ignored is the word hunter or the word seeker, right? This is a verb. You know, this is not just another word in Scripture, but this is, there's, a, there's an action that has to take place here. Both the pearl merchant and the treasure hunter were both active seekers, and we have, to, we have to acknowledge that this is going to be something we have to do, not just something that's going to be given to us. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You will search again for the Lord your God, 
which gives an indication that they've already searched once, right? It says again. It says you will search again, and if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Which to me indicates the first time they didn't search with all their heart and all their soul. You know, and so we get an imagery here that we can see in our lives that maybe we've tried the God thing once, right? Maybe we've been in church before. Maybe we've, maybe we've initiated a relationship with God. Maybe we, maybe we did look a little bit, and we have looked a little bit. But we didn't do it with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our energy, with all of our mind. And we lost it. You know, I've been in that place multiple times in my life where I've looked at my life and I've looked at my relationship with God and I've said, you know, I'm not doing it with all my heart right now. And it only makes sense why I feel the way that I feel. It only makes sense why I messed up in the ways that I messed up. It only makes sense why I regret the things that I have done. And it's because I'm not searching the way that I'm supposed to be searching. I've become very passive in my seeking, and I just, I sit in church. You know, the, the time that I spent in college, there's a lot of regrets I had in campus ministry when I was a college student. Because the reality was I, was, I was in a church, I was in a very active church, but I wasn't a very active person in my relationship with God. I did all the campus ministry stuff. I was at every small group meeting, I was at every cross chat, I was at every single thing, and I thought I was being active. But the reality is, is that my heart and my mind were not chasing and pursuing God. It was just my body being present at those meetings. And where I caught myself saying that I was a disciple and saying that I was living a godly lifestyle, my body was, but my heart and my mind were in completely different places. I was caught up looking at porn. I was caught up chasing these girls. I was caught up focusing on sports. I was caught up in so many different things, but my body, I felt like it was actively seeking God. And I think if we're all honest, we can look at our lives, and maybe we've tried the church thing before. But just like this verse, it gives us an indication that when you don't seek God with all of your heart and all your soul, you're not really going to find them in the ways that He's wanting you to find them. And maybe it's time for us to stop blaming the church because our bodies are there and start taking responsibility and accountability of where our hearts and our minds are really at while we're there. You know, Matthew 7, 7, it hits on the same thing. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is one of the very first verses that I memorized because it was so simple. <laughs> it was so simple to understand. I was like, okay, Matthew 7, 7 tells me there's three verbs and three benefits. I got to ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to me. I will find it, and the door will be opened. And I thought it was like one of the simplest verses, but then I started to realize in my relationship with God as time went on that it was a lot harder to do the verbs, you know, because I just wanted the benefits. And I was sitting around waiting for the benefits, but I wasn't doing the verbs here. And I think the question sometimes that we need to ask ourselves when we talk, when we talk about being a seeker is, is not asking ourselves if our bodies, for some of us it is. For some of us, the question is, where have you been? You know, you're not at church. You don't get in, involved in small groups. You're, you're MIA throughout the week, but you think that, that two hours here on Sundays is all you need. For some of us, it is we need to ask, where have our bodies been? They've been at work, they've been at home, they've been at sports, they've been engaged. Maybe we need to change where our bodies are at physically throughout the week. But for a lot of us, I think it's also, it's not so much about where our bodies are at, it's about where our hearts and our minds are at. It's asking, have we been asking? Have we been seeking? Have we been looking for these things in our lives? Or are we just zoned out, but we're still here and we look fine? But we know on the inside we're not. So this first point is that we have to be a humble hunter. We have to definitely be a humble hunter. The second point is that this requires me to be an aware hunter. We have to be aware of what we're hunting. You know, I, I don't hunt. I wish that I hunted. I, my, I didn't have a dad growing up, so 
I didn't really have like somebody to take me out in the woods. I wear this shirt as a poser that like I duck hunt, but I really don't, you know? It's one of my, it's one of my favorite shirts. And be like, oh yeah, you like ducks? I'm like, I like to eat ducks, you know? But I don't, I don't look for ducks. I don't hunt for ducks. Um, I wish somebody would take me. And then I'm like, well, all the stuff that goes into it, getting up early, sitting outside in the cold, having to buy all this equipment. Why oh, don't you just bring me some meat home when you're done? You know, like, I'm that kind of, like, I will hunt for the people who hunt to give me their food. You know, I'll do that kind of hunting. I'm like, hey, who in here hunts? I'll, I'll do, I'll do that kind of hunting. But I won't actually go do the hunting myself, right? Um, but I can only imagine what type of awareness has to go into what you hunt, you know? Because I know enough about hunting to know that you don't hunt everything the same way. You don't hunt rabbits the same way that you hunt deer. You don't hunt deer the same way that you hunt squirrels. You don't hunt these different things. You know what I do hunt for? I hunt for mushrooms. <laughs> because mushrooms don't run around. <laughs> like, I, can, I, can, I can spot those pretty easy. I don't need, I don't need equipment. Uh, you'll catch me in probably the next two or three weeks at SIUE getting into the woods looking like a, like a creeper, just running into the woods, just looking around and, and for all this other random stuff. I swear, last year I felt like I was a creeper because I took my daughter Peyton. And so sure enough, as everybody's driving through SIU's campus, they see this grown man with this little girl run into the woods. And I'm like, you know what? I probably need to like, make sure this isn't what it looks like anymore. <laughs> it still sounds so bad coming out of my mouth. Um, but it was my daughter, and she likes to mushroom hunt with me. So she was like, Dad, when are we going to hunt this year? I was like, as soon as I can figure out a safe way to make this look around the people. So they know what we're doing. Um, but yeah, so there's got to be an awareness of what you're looking for and how you're hunting it, but an awareness of how to go about it. You can't just hunt anything if you have an objective to hunt something. You know what I'm saying? You can't go in the woods expecting to hunt deer and then find a, a lot of other things that you're wanting to hunt because you may not be prepared for those same type of things. And what God says is that you have to be aware of what you're hunting because if you're not hunting the right thing, you're going to get caught hunting the wrong thing and you're going to come up empty-handed. In, in 1 Samuel 12, 21, it says, Idols are only statues. They can't help you. So don't worship them. Idols can't help you or save you. They are nothing. You see, so many times in our lives, we are not really aware of what we're hunting and we get caught hunting the wrong thing because we're not aware of where we're at in our life. We get caught hunting these different things that in the reality of what they are, at the end of the day, they are just statues. You know, everything that glitters is not godly. Everything that's shiny is not godly. In Psalms 119.37, it says, Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. We get caught hunting the shiny things in life. You know, from, from a young, young age, it's the culture that we live in here in America. We, we watch TV and we get caught up hunting the things that the world says we should desire. Our body image and the things that we want to focus on in life. Um, the jobs that we want to have one day. So we get enrolled in schools that will help participate in that same direction. Money in general we just want to be rich. You know, like we want to have stability. We want to have security. So we will do whatever it takes to attain that money. Uh, relationships. We want to have a solid man or woman in our life that we know is not going to divorce us. Nobody, nobody says, you know, I want to have a spouse one day that cheats on me. That'd be kind of cool. You know, like nobody thinks like that. Like we, we hunt things that we think are going to be good for us. And some of these things are good for us. But whenever we choose to make that what we hunt, it is never going to be good for us. You see, in Matthew 6, it says, the eye is the light of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. You see, if you hunt God and your eyes are fixed on God, then everything in your life will be good. Everything in your life will benefit him. But when you choose to hunt with your eyes something that isn't God and expect God will come into that and bless that, you are going to be severely mistaken one day when you realize that it wasn't God who put that in your life because that's not what God wanted you to find. That's what you wanted to find. 
We get so focused on what we want to find. I did that for years. Like I said, I talked about relationships in high school. I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional house. My, my dad was never married to my mom, and I saw dysfunction. My mom had three different husbands uh, growing, or she had two different husbands and my dad, and we had five kids between us. But even, even how confusing that is to say out loud, you can only imagine what our, our family dynamic was like. You know, Different Christmases, different houses, different families bounced around from place to place to place. I remember one year, Katie and I, when we first got married, we went on Thanksgiving, we went to seven different houses between our families. And we were like, this can never happen again. You know, it's not that we don't want to spend time with our families, but I don't want that to be a norm for my kids. Oh, it's Thanksgiving, let's get in a car and spend all day in a car, going from house to house to house. We had to at some point branch off and form stability and figure out how we were going to make something different for our kids to see. But my family, the way that it functioned as a kid, I had made decisions as a kid that I did not want that in my life. Not that I was going to like exile my family, but the, the, the family that I was going to start one day, I did not want it to look anything like that model. And so, you know, going through high school and college, I spent a lot of time focusing on women, focusing on trying to find the wife that was never going to, you know, and to think about how successful that was in my high school years. No chick is wanting to be a wife in high school, you know? And so, like, I was just poor timing for me to think that way right off the bat, right? And then I was like, well, you know what? I didn't have a dad, so how am I going to feel loved? Well, my coaches make me feel good when I do things right, so I'm just going to focus on sports. And I engulfed my whole, college, or my whole high school career in sports. And I played baseball, basketball, football, and I spent all my time after school involved in sports. And I'd go home and I'd watch Sports Center, and I'd go home and I'd practice even more. And so my eyes were all over everything else because I thought that they were going to be good for me. I thought that I had an awareness that was like, okay, I see dysfunction and I see that this is maybe function, so I'm going to chase this. And at the end of the day, still all of those things never were what God wanted them to be for me. You see, I messed around with girls in high school and I never really found that. That, that model woman that I, that I really wanted, even though that's what I was chasing. I played sports, but then when I got to college, I realized that it was such a waste of time because at some point I was gonna quit because I wasn't gonna go pro, you know? And so it was a waste of a lot of time that I had spent in, in, in my heart and going towards that direction. Um, There's just so many things I looked at and it wasn't because those things were bad. And that's the thing I wanna make sure we get across today. Relationships are not bad, guys. Sports are not bad. But when it's what you make your idol, when it's what you hunt, when it's what you chase more than anything, then they are bad, yes. I will say that through Scripture. It is bad. It says, the I, or it says in Matthew 6, 34, it says, No one can serve two masters. You can't chase after two different things. If you try, you'll end up loving the first master and hating the second. People try to serve both God and money, but you can't. You must choose one or the other. You see, whatever you value in life, think about it right now. What do you value more than anything in life itself? And if the answer is not God, there is a problem in your life, period. And we have to, because the problem is, at one point in your life, you are going to have to choose. That's what this verse says. You must choose. So whatever that thing is in your life that you value more than anything, one day you will have to choose. The problem is, is when we get so caught up in what we value that we would rather choose it than God. Because all of those things are beneficial. Like I said, sports, relationships. Here's a big one. Has anyone thought when I said, what do you value more than anything, that anybody say family? You know, my kids, my wife. How is that wrong? How is that bad? Well, just like anything else, guys, if you value your family more than God, one day you will have to choose. What is going to be more of a priority in your life? But here's the thing that people just cannot comprehend is when you choose that God is the thing that you value the most, he will complement everything else. 
You see, when people hear the words, you have to choose, they think that one has to be here and one has to be gone. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying one has got to be at the top so it can complement everything in your life. He's not saying cut these things out. I've seen incredible athletes that are professional athletes that make sure that God is their priority and it complements their sport. It complements their life. But I've also seen people who say God is their priority, but when you watch their lives, really the sport is their priority. I've seen incredible people say that, you know, God is their priority, and then you watch their families, and, they, and, they, and they're so in, involved and so engulfed in their families that God it really isn't the priority in that family. Because if it was, why, why are your kids getting raised the way that they're raised? Why are their kids getting caught up in the things they're getting caught up in? Why is it that you focus so much on that? Why, why, why is it that there's such a priority for family and not for God? And so, guys, this is, this is the thing with hunting this treasure is I'm not saying, and I don't think God is saying, that you have to exile one to make the other your master. And if more people could understand that and grasp that idea that God wants to complement life, not make you throw everything away to just look at him, that people could really get that there is such a great benefit with having God number one. You see, humans seek greatly what they value greatly. You're going to seek whatever it is so great because it's what you value. Um, there is a TV show on right now that all these little teens are going to go crazy for called Outer Banks, right? All y'all seen it all, right? Y'all binged it, didn't you? And then our campus, right? So a lot of you campus kids. Now you adults probably have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Right? <laughs> nope, nope, I don't see. Right? So Outer Banks is a show on Netflix. I'm going to actually plug Outer Banks in my sermon today. Um, Outer Banks is a show on Netflix that is essentially a treasure hunting show. It, but it's like, uh, I don't know, if treasure hunting met like real world or something like that. Like, it's, like, it's like drama filled, but it's centered storyline is around a treasure hunt. And the Outer Banks is off the coast of North Carolina. It's this, it's this, it's this shoreline of, of coast. But this show is all about treasure hunting. And in this show, there is two different types of people. There are the ones called the Pogues, right? And the Pogues are like the, the poorer ones. They're the ones who like lived on the island. Like they run the restaurants. They're the ones that are tending to the boats. They're like the dirtier, like the, the poor kind of group of people. And then there's this group called the Kooks, okay? And the Kooks are like the rich people. They're like the ones who have like vacation houses there and they're the ones that go and dine at the restaurants and they're the ones that have all the money in the area and they're the ones who have all the boats, right? And so this show is kind of circulated around these two groups of people, the kooks and the pogues, kind of like clashing because they hate each other. Um, but there's an underlying storyline that there's a giant treasure hunt going on that they're looking for a certain treasure that was lost off the coast of the Outer Banks. And you have a couple people from the Pogues, the poor group that have like an idea of maybe where it's at, but then there's all this money and all this background of a couple of these kooks, these rich people that are trying to find as well. And so this whole show is circulated around this, but they entwine so much drama into this show that you start to realize that, that there's not just one treasure that they're talking about here. Because you start to get love interests in the middle, right? You get, this, you, get this guy, you get this guy named John B. and this girl named Sarah, right? And you girls know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And one's a kook and one's a pug. And we got Romeo and Juliet all over again for all these teens to learn about, right? And their families hate each other, but they love each other. And they want to do anything for each other. So they, they abandon their families to, to, to chase their own little love interest, right? And then you get this one girl who was born a kook, a rich girl, but she doesn't connect with all the rich kids. So she turns herself into a pogue. But her family's like, no, that's, that's nasty. You need to be a rich girl, right? And so you see all this stuff and there's all this drama. But the reality is, is that every single one of these characters has something in common, just like we do, is they are all controlled by a treasure, and they're going to pay a great cost for being controlled by that treasure. You see, all the storylines I just talked about, the, 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 the pogues, the, the, the poor ones that were trying to chase this, 
chase this treasure hunt. They decided to abandon their family to make this treasure happen because they were actually looking for this physical treasure. And so they left their family. They pretended that they were dead. They, they spent all this time chasing this treasure. And what was the cost? Their family. Same thing with the, with the coot girl that decided she wanted to live as a pope. She abandoned her family for not treasure, relationships. That's what she treasured. The intimate relationship between John B. and Sarah, Kook and a Pogue together. What was, what was the interest there? Love. That was worth more than anything for them to sacrifice their relationships to circle around them. And so it doesn't even matter if it's the physical treasure that we're talking about, but everybody, because this story, this show on Netflix, whether you're going to watch it now or not, this story is nothing new than what we do every single day. We are all controlled by some type of treasure in our lives and we chase it greatly, but there is going to be a cost. We are all going to have a cost for whatever we chase. It's not anything new. It's not, it's not a new obsession. It's everyday life for everyday people. So what we need to ask ourselves today are a couple appraisal questions when we talk about what we're going to buy into. Because we need to know what it's like. We need to know what it's valuable. If we're investing in seeking this thing and giving this thing our lives, there's a couple questions that I think we need to ask ourselves because it might give us a little wisdom if it's something worth it or not. The first question is, how much might this benefit me? How much can this benefit me? Is it something that you're just going to get a little gain? Would you, would you invest $100 for 10 years, if you're in 10 years going to get $100.10 back, is that a good investment? Is it worth it? Is there a lot? Or would you invest $100 in 10 years that turns into a million dollars? Right? We'd all invest in that, wouldn't we? You know? Because it, it would impact us greatly. So whatever we're, whatever we're chasing, investing, is it really going to benefit me greatly? Or is it just... You know, it's not really worth my time or energy or money. Second question is, how long might this benefit me? Is it something that's going to be worth the sacrifice now because of the benefit it's going to have long term? Here's a question for people who struggle with addictions, who struggle with bad decisions, who struggle with maybe, you know, is that, is that few minutes in the hotel room of an affair, is that going to benefit you in the long run? Or is that just some instantaneous relief that's going to feel good for a few minutes or a few hours, and then you're back to feeling like crap? If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, whatever it may be, how long are you going to benefit from that? As long as you're on the high? As long as you feel numbed? Because once you're off, do you feel the benefits of what you just did? Or do you have to go find some more to stay in that same state of mind? How long is this going to benefit me? Who else might it benefit is the next question. Are the things that I'm investing in, is it something that can be paid forward? Is it something that other people will benefit off of my decisions? Or... Will other people be hurt by my decisions? Will other people suffer because of my decisions of what I'm investing in? Is this a decision in my life that will help others or hurt others? And then once you answered all those questions, the last question you have to ask is, okay, what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost me? You see, nothing on earth is worth your life other than your relationship with God. Because there's nothing that's going to last as long, there's nothing that's going to benefit you as much, and there's nothing that's going to help the people around you than a relationship with God and seeking that first. But it is also the thing that will cost you the most. In 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, For physical training is of some value, useful for a little, but godliness, spiritual training, is useful and of value in everything and of every way, for it holds promise for the present life and also for which the life is to come. 
You see, this verse isn't taking a dig at physical training and working out and exercise and, and making sure your body's in shape. It's saying it doesn't even come close to comparison of the value of training yourself spiritually. Because when you die, your body's going to die with it. So all that time and energy that we put into that, if that is your focus, it will only benefit you temporarily if you're not taking the time to focus on spiritual training because that will benefit you not just in the temporary but in the eternal as well. Mark 8, 46 says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Have you ever seen anybody die and then all their stuff disappears with them? Right? You're seeing somebody die and then their house and, and their bank account, it just suddenly disappears. Like, oh, I guess it, they got to take it with them this time. Like, you've never, seen, you've never seen that, right? So then why do we accumulate so much stuff if we're just not going to get it when we die, right? Why do we spend our whole life, like this says, what good is it to gain all these things the world has to offer, but then lose the one thing that you can actually take with you when you do die? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense what we would focus on. But yet we get so tempted by the world and everything that it has to offer. But we have to be aware of what we are hunting. And then lastly, this is going to require me to be an all-in hunter. This will require me to be an all-in hunter. What do these two dudes do in the parable? Okay, Matthew 13, 45, it says, A man finds it, buries it, goes off overjoyed, to sell all his possessions to buy himself that field. All right? I'm going to make a note here, too. He didn't sell all of his possessions and just buy the treasure, right? He had to buy the field. He had to buy what came with it. And I think so many times we want to just give it all up, maybe for heaven, maybe for that eternity, but we don't want to go through the thick of, of life with it. And I think we have to be careful and just make a mental note of that as we're talking through this, that sometimes a relationship with God is not going to be a quick, instantaneous you know, relationship with him to go straight to heaven. But there's going to be some things like a field, a giant field that he had to buy. Sometimes we're going to have to go through life with people as well, too, and not just get this benefit without having some other things that we need to work with in our relationship with him. Matthew 13, 46 says the same thing. When he found a single pearl of great value, he goes and sells all his possessions and buys it. So for us to be able to be a hunter that's really seeking God out, like we talked about earlier, we have to be all in. We have to seek with our whole heart and our whole soul. In Luke 14, 31 through 33, it talks about this idea of what it looks like to be all in, this cost. It says, or imagine a king is gearing up. This is another parable. It says, or imagine a king is gearing up to go to war. Wouldn't he begin by sitting down with his advisors to determine whether his 1,000 troops could defeat the opponent's 20,000 troops. If not, he'll send a peace delegation quickly and negotiate a peace treaty. In the same way, if you want to be my disciple, it will cost you everything. Don't underestimate the cost. You see, this parable is talking about us and God, right? And that 1,000 or that 10,000 troops, that's talking about us. And the 20,000 troops, that's talking about God. And sometimes it's verses like this that are so blunt that help me realize I need to make a decision. Because if the kingdom is already here, you guys need to understand that the war has already been won. Jesus has already won. God has already defeated Satan. It's done. The battle right now is about your soul. It's not about who's going to win the big fight. That big fight's already over. The fight going on right now is for all the people and, and where they're going to go. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. That's the thick of our lives is that we are in a fight for our, for our lives. Not to see who's going to win one day if Satan's going to overcome God because that is done. And so sometimes you got to hear it like this to understand that that's the truth. That God has won, and there's no changing that. And so what you need to ask yourself is sometimes we get stuck in this mind where we're the 10,000, and then we're like, how can I win? You know, like, what if we went to the woods? Like, what if we changed the terrain? Like, what if we set up traps? Like, what if we set up, like, gauntlets for the, for the other army to come through? That's not going to work. 
We can't win. And that sounds so pathetic, doesn't it? I hope that's, if, if you came to church today for the first time, that's, that's you hearing that, like, that's not, I don't want that to be a negative, but that's the truth. We can't win. We will lose. So you have two, choo- you have two choices today. Two chooses today. I know, I said that. <laughs> two chooses today. You have two choices today. You can either lose by defeat or you can lose by surrender. Those are your only choices. There is no option C. But here's what I want to encourage you to think about. When you lose to surrender, you actually win. When you lose by giving your life up to God, by giving everything in your life to God, you will win tremendously. Because God promises people who surrender to him will have a better life, not just in heaven, but here. Because the kingdom is here. And for some of us, we've got to stop trying to think of how we can win and realize that the only way that there is possibilities to win is to lose by giving our life up. Then and only then, you will be able to look at your life and say, I'm happy with where I'm at right now. I'm, 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 I'm grateful for what God has done in my life. I've, I've been surrounded. And, and I don't know where you're at today, but no matter where you're at today, those two choices will always be the same. Two chooses will always be the same. So I want to encourage you guys to pull out that communication card right now. I encourage everybody to pull out that communication card in your guys' bulletin. And my encouragement today is for you to make a choice. I encourage you to make a choice today because you're not going to find anywhere else that's going to give you any other options, any other places in life that are going to give you any other options. If you believe there is a God, these are your only two options. And so don't wait around to make a choice, guys, because our eyes are going to get more and more fixed on things that aren't godly. It's time to make a choice. And use that communication card today to figure out how you can make that choice. If you want to make a choice to surrender today, that can start in so many different ways. Maybe that's just you choosing to talk to somebody about your life. Maybe that's just you choosing to get involved in a small group with people. Maybe that's just you choosing to get into God's Word to see what it says. It can, it can take many different formats, but all of those choices are choices that start a a lifestyle that is no longer about self, but about a relationship with God. I encourage you guys to make that choice today and see, just see what God can do with your life because of that. And if it doesn't work out and you don't like it, you can always go and revert back to the other choice, you know? But I always encourage people to make the first choice before they fall back on the second choice, you know? Don't just give up and be defeated. Don't just, don't just die and roll over, guys. Surrender. See what God can do with your life and see the blessings that he can have. And let's see what God can do with this church. Let's see what God can do with your life, what he can do with your families, what he can do with your future, what he can do with this world if you would just surrender to him. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to even choose. God, we shouldn't even get the opportunity to choose if we want to surrender or not because of how much we've screwed up. You've given us time and time and time again to change, to choose. And God, if I was God, I'd be frustrated enough to just be like, you know what, screw it. They've given enough chances, but you're not that kind of God. You give us an opportunity to change, to have hope, and just to be different. And God, I pray that's what we seek in our lives is to surrender and to look for you. And so, God, as, uh, as I pray and as we sing this song, I, I pray that people will look at that card and fill that communication card out and, and figure out what it is that they need to do to choose you, what it is they need to do to look for you, to hunt for you, um, 
And God, I pray for that because I know what you are capable of. You've done so much in my life. You've changed my life because I've chose to look for you. Um, And so, God, I'm so grateful for that. And I just pray that people can see the same things that I see in you. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for this church to help me along the way. And thank you again um, for everything you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.